Hi, I'm Sean Perrin, and you're listening to episode 76 of the Clarinet Podcast, the show where I discuss all that's new and neat with clarinet with the neatest people in the industry. Xanthodakis first joined me for a conversation on episode 31 of the Clarinet Podcast, where she discussed her new CD called The Captive Nightingale and her discovery of some, or rather rediscovery, of some pieces which she's published under her own company called Chroma Editions. I'm excited to say that today she's back with an update about her work. We discuss her company's new website, which features digital and physical editions of these romantic rarities that she rediscovered, recordings of these pieces, and more. Be sure to check out chromaeditions.com and use special holiday code HAPPYHOLIDAYS20 for 20% off your order up until the end of December 2017. The Clarinet Podcast is brought to you in part by the support of its listeners. If you'd like to learn how you can support the production of the podcast and treat it maybe like an extra read once a month or once a week, you can do this at www.clarinet.com support. Please know that your support is greatly appreciated. The Clarinet Podcast is hosted by Mo Bleichner Music Distribution. You can check out their newest product, the $49 Match Pitch Barrel, at the Clarinet.com online store. Head to Clarinet.com slash store. Of course, today's episode of the podcast is also brought to you by our season sponsor, Dario Woodwinds. And I bring you today's guest after this short message. Sanding, shaping, balancing. For centuries, mastering your instrument meant mastering these crafts too. But now, D'Addario is refining craftsmanship for the 21st century by refining their reeds and mouthpieces with the world's most innovative techniques, so you can spend less time sanding, shaping, and balancing, and more time perfecting your own craft. To learn more about the new era of craftsmanship from D'Addario Woodwinds, visit D'Addario.com woodwinds. So I'm here today with Elena Xanthodakis, who is the director at Chroma Editions and has also been featured on a past episode of the podcast. Thanks for coming back on the show, Elena. Hey, thanks for having me. So this is one of my favorite parts or has been one of my favorite parts about the podcast lately is, is going back through the sort of previous episodes and, and, and realizing all the guests that I did reach out to and have wanted to get back in touch with, um, such as yourself. So it's really great to have the chance to speak again. Um, and it's under interesting circumstances because you had uh, originally released a CD of some new music 
um, that was some romantic rarities. I think you called them on your Captive Nightingale CD. Um, you can check yeah. out episode 31 of the podcast for more information about that. But you also discussed at that point your your new um, Chroma Editions company and the fact that you were going to be publishing. And now I'm holding those publications in my hands. So how has it been since we last chatted and uh, how did these come into fruition? Yeah, I'm really, I'm really excited. Since I spoke to you last, I mean, we had some copies ready to go, but we had no website. We were on the sort of cusp of, of launching this company on the back of the CD that we produced a couple of years back. Mm-hmm. Um, and as you know, I really love repertoire with clarinet, voice and piano. And so for many years, I've been searching, I've been trying to find things that hadn't been done before, things that no one knows about and bringing them, you know, to the general public. So once we had the CD, the idea was to produce the sheet music, which, which you have there. Um, basically, we're at the stage where we're now alive. We're on the internet, www.chromaeditions.com, and we're doing downloads, we're selling in stores, whereas before we were in like two or three stores, we're in loads more. I'm really excited because it means that people can finally be playing these works. Absolutely. And you know what? I think that I'm going to try and get this episode out before Christmas um, for two reasons. One is you were telling me that there's actually a Christmas special going on with these uh, scores right now. Did you want to maybe talk about that for a second? Yes, for sure. So what we're doing for the month of December is we're doing 20% off and there'll be a little code that'll come out and it's 20% off um, any purchases during December. Um, obviously for Canadians and Americans, the first half would be better regarding post. Um so I'm really excited to, to actually offer that, and it's be a really great way to, to get them in, in your repertoire before the, the exam season. So get them in for your, what's the best way, your, your ensemble classes and that sort of thing. Absolutely. And that, that was the second reason, actually, I was going to try and get this out before Christmas is because this is the time where people are picking exam repertoire or uh, university students or college students are picking their recital programs for the spring. So it'd be really great to get some of this new music uh, out there into the recital programs. I should say, though, this is new old music. Uh, for those who haven't checked out the podcast last time, would you maybe quickly explain sort of how you came about these pieces and, and what's special about them? Yeah, no, for sure. I should really go into that. So basically, I fell in love with the clarinet. Um, my brother plays the clarinet on our CD, and obviously I've been around the clarinet since I was little. Um, as a singer, um, I was looking for things besides the six Schwor German lead, um, Gesang. I was looking for something besides the Shepherd and the Rock, which obviously I love, to, pro- to produce. So these are actually works that are romantic works. Um, typically Germanic in nature. They're all in German. They have themes of homeland, Switzerland, mountains, um, longing, all those sorts of uh, romantic qualities. But they're just absolute gems, and I fell in love with them. And so we had we had to basically record them. And the idea is that we get these out to people so that everyone else can enjoy them as much as we do. No, I think it's such a such a noble cause and uh, really great to introduce some new pieces into the repertoire. Uh, they're produced in a gorgeous way here. Um, are these all self-published or where are you getting them printed? Are you, are you printing them as well? Yeah, we're printing them out. They're all self-published. Um, my brother and I, we went through the original scores. We put them into sort of – we modernized them because a lot of them were kind of old-fashioned. They were missing – you know, uh, markings here and there, there'd be one, but then it wouldn't say where the crescendo or the, where things stopped. It was very sort of unclear. They had the sort of old French style, um, rests where they face the other way for the, the quarter. What do you call them in, 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 uh, America and Canada, where they face backwards, the little, 
the quarter notes? Oh, no. the quarter notes. Yeah, yes, yes. Oh, the sixteenth um, for the sixteenth. So I was thinking. Um, oh, I see. Yeah, I see what you mean. Yeah. The flags. The flags on the notes will go the wrong way. And they were, it was all over the place. Yeah. Um, and so we've basically tidied that up, modernized it a little bit so that, you know, we can read it easily and produce it in really clear, legible music for everyone. Um, so the works themselves, you know, they're being romantic pieces. We're from composers that maybe you've heard of them, maybe you haven't. So, if, you know, Franz Wagner. Okay, we've heard of Franz Wagner. Two of um, Er der Herrlichste von allen is the, the second poem in the cycle Frauenliebe und Leben. So people are sort of already aware of these, this piece, I mean, of these lyrics from the Schumann. And it was already produced as the Zeitlich Ingesehen, which is the number one in the cycle. So we thought we would produce this and make it a pair that you can couple together for recitals. Um, and it's a, such a strong piece, really, really beautiful, and just captures her um, emotional journey of falling in love with this guy. Um, at first sight, essentially, in my mind. Um, so, and the other composers you might not have heard of, so Josef von Lindpeitner um, was actually conductor and clarinetist himself. Um, he produced an amazing seven-minute showpiece about a mermaid and a shepherd, and it comes from the sort of story of the, the Lorelei, the sort of siren who lures in the shepherd to his untimely demise, which actually I... Is definitely my favorite piece and actually yeah it's the name of our other cd which is actually the shepherd and the mermaid um the other two pieces are by a guy called proch you might not have heard of he's only famous and only remembered for one particular set of theme and variations for soprano and these two pieces longing for switzerland and the captive nightingale which is the name of the cd mm-hmm. yes so, yes longing for switzerland and the captive nightingale which are Slightly easier, perhaps the um, the captive nightingale, and then Schweitzer's Heimweh, as I may have mentioned in my last interview, has the highest note for soprano in it in any leader I've ever seen. Oh wow! It's quite a yeah, I know. <laughs> There's an alternative low note, don't worry. But um, <laughs> it's actually a really fun piece, and it really captures that sense of mountains and and cowbells, and it's just really really beautiful. So for those who might be considering either playing these pieces um, on their recital or for an exam, um, since they're so new, it might be kind of difficult to determine sort of where they sit in as far as difficulty. Um, the clarinet parts look pretty reasonable to me, but I know nothing about being a soprano. So where do they sit in as far as difficulty level for the ensemble? And, and that's part of choosing chamber repertoire. Ensemble-wise, um, they're be the sort of the hardest one to get together, but if the lines are so melodic, you can just dovetail in and out. Mm. Um, the Shepherd and the Mermaid, I would say, is the most technically difficult in terms of getting your mouth around the lyrics for the soprano, but in terms of um, the range, it goes up to a top A. So it's, it's maybe for a later year undergraduate or postgraduate. Um, for the Gefangene Nachtigall, it's, it's much easier for both the clarinetist and the singer. Um, Schweitzer's Heimway is very lyrical and simple. If you don't want to take the top note, you can always take the lower note at the end. Yeah, there's really something to be said for exploring new repertoire, rediscovered repertoire. Um, it'll, it'll be stimulating both for the audience, for you as a musician. Um, it'll further the, you know, the instrument and the composer's and it also will be of interest likely to your teacher. I mean, one of the things about being a clarinet teacher is, is, you know, you can't imagine how many times some of these older university professors have played through some of these pieces. And it just must be such a breath of fresh air to get something something new into the repertoire that's interesting and engaging and uh, pleasant yeah. to, to work with. So, 
No, absolutely. I mean, I know when I go to singing competitions and the number of times you hear the same, you know, the same pieces or when you know that you're singing an aria for somebody else's audition that they've heard 150 million times, it is lovely to bring something new. And because you know, you know, the quality of the repertoire, beautiful romantic repertoire, it's not going to be jarring, for example, in recitals and concerts for people who maybe aren't um, concert goers as well. It's so beautiful and lyrical. It's in terms of that side of thing, not just looking at the university recital repertoire. It's something that you can use again and again. Absolutely. So this is just such great music. And I, I want to talk a bit about your website too, because of course this is sort of the, the, the place where people will go if they're interested in purchasing. And um, you do have the ability to download um, digital files as well as purchase the sheet music. And also you have almost what I would consider the study recordings, which you have also recorded yourself available for purchase there. So uh, what went into the planning of the website and, and how, is the, how have the sales been on there so far? Yeah, I, the idea, of course, was to kind of co-sell the two together, the CD to help inform the music and the music to help you know, raise awareness of the CD. However, um, we want to get this music into people's hands. So we've not just taken a hard copy approach. We've got the download approach, which means that you can download it to your computer. Um, you get two times that you can just print that out one time and then a follow-up time in case you lose it or something happens. Um, and that's, and that's yours. And you know, it means you don't have to pay anything on postage or anything like that. And it makes it really, really simple in this modern day. Absolutely. Yeah. And you know, the CDs, I, I have a feeling that some people now it's so odd. I mean, I, I did my CD project about two years ago as well, around the same time as yours actually. And, uh, some people now don't even own CD, CD players. So it's so nice to be able to purchase the the digital audio, but uh, I guess what's cool about the modern day is that, you know, this music, how long was it hidden for before you discovered it? It's about 150 years old. So, you know, Fell would have fallen out of repertoire um, about 140 years ago. So I'm really, really thrilled to be bringing this back. It's but beautiful. That's what's, yeah, that's what's crazy about technology, though, is that so this music went missing for 140 years, and now both the recording and the music itself can be downloaded and delivered wirelessly across the world and printed off in under five minutes. So it's just, it's amazing where technology has gone and, and how the it gives you boggles. access. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's yeah. just craziness. Absolute well, that's where also we're hoping to bring out some new repertoire. We have things here that are mid-production, under wraps, of course. And then we have discussions with some composers who, who write small chamber works um, with voice So woodwind, um, three or four instruments, um, and a few other composers for some other vocal stuff with small, um, small orchestra. So things are, things are afoot and over the next few years, definitely keep your eyes out with what comes out on Chroma editions. Yeah. I was just going to ask what's next, but I guess it's kind of a under wraps. <laughs> <laughs> well, there are some pieces I think I mentioned last time, which are still mm -hmm. in production. Um, and, and there are possibly some affiliations with some other um, publishing houses just to help them get their products out and, and to make Crow Editions a hub for place for, as a place to go for looking for that sort of repertoire with obligato instruments. So be that clarinet, violin, cello, that sort of thing. All right. So that was sort of just a quick update on what you're working on for the clarinet community. And I uh, hope that people do get the chance to check out a lot of that music, both the recordings and the uh, print editions. It's uh, really quite fantastic, and I'll be linking to it in the show notes. Um, but before we wrap up, we're going to do the lightning round, which is six, actually seven questions now, to be answered in under a minute. Are you ready? Oh, my God. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> it's like a game show. <laughs> if I were to walk over to your music stand right now, 
What would you, what would I find on it? What are you working on? You would find um, arias from Rossini. I'm about preparing a concert for next year. So um, I'm Elisabetta d'Inglaterra. We're looking at the Sombre Flore from um, Rossini's uh, uh, William Tell. Yeah, what piece of music or album changed your life indefinitely? Well, um, it would have to be Maria Callas, and I'm going to go with Casta Diva. If you could play any instrument other than being a vocalist, what would it be and why? Well, I already am a flautist. I wouldn't say a very good one. Um, it would be the soprano and the, no, the alto saxophone. Definitely. Alto saxophone. Oh, interesting. Yeah, because... I think you're the first person to say a saxophone on the podcast. It's pretty brazen. <laughs> I know, but given it's a clarinet, because I mean, you know, obviously I have a real soft spot for the clarinet um, and my brother plays clarinet and he also plays saxophone. So, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a tough call and... It's a really tough call. I love jazz. I love classical. I don't know. Saxophone. Fair enough. Get the best of both worlds. Mm Mm-hmm. If you could go back in time and meet any musical person, who would it be and why? I think it would have to be Mozart, um, just because the music is so sublime, but also because he was quite scatological and I'm sure he'd be very funny. While we're back in time, what advice would you give your 20-year-old self? I would say be very careful of your choices in terms of agents and which repertoire you get known for and make sure that, um, yeah, I don't know. That would be my advice as a singer. You can get caught in a particular kind of repertoire or style or be too good at too many things and then be seen uh, as confusing. (laughs) That's interesting, actually. I, I don't think that clarinetists run into that, but I can see how vocalists, like your voice becomes more adapted to one thing and people have trouble seeing outside of that. Is that kind of what happens? That's a real big problem, for sure, definitely. In terms of, as well, casting directors looking at you in a certain way when you know you sing other repertoire, maybe as well, if not better. Um, hmm. Yeah, that's definitely a trap for, for a singer. It's intriguing. Um, what is one book that you think every musician should read? One book that I think every musician should read. I have a book that I think every single person on the whole planet should read. Okay, maybe that and one. It's, it's called The Chimp Paradox, and it's the most enlightening book I've ever read in my life about human behavior um, and mindset and, you know, basically becoming better of ourselves so that we don't get bogged down in, in negative emotions and, you know, sabotaging ourselves. It's an amazing book. What was the name again? Uh, the chimp paradox, like the chimpanzee, like the chimpanzee. So oh, okay. it talks about, yeah, it talks about how we have the chimp inside of us. We have the computer inside of us and we have the human self and who's running the show at what times and knowing how to, uh, switch them off if we need to. That's very interesting. Actually. I'd, I'd love to get more into that. I'll have to read that book and then get back to you. <laughs> Definitely worth a, your free audible monthly subscription. You know, if you, you pre book, on your Audible subscription. So this last question is not really relevant because uh, I was going to ask how many clarinets do you have? I'm, I'm imagining it's zero. Is that? <laughs> it's zero. However, it used to be one because I oh, did really? start. Yeah, I did start to practice and I did have an alto sax that I did have to practice. But um, as a singer who was studying flute, I didn't find loads of time for it. But um, I did have one of each of those instruments. My brother, however, has a gazillion. So. Oh, really? We should get yeah. him on the podcast sometimes. And, you should. Uh, yeah, because he was playing on the uh, the Captive Nightingale CD and your other one, 
And yes. um, just, just wonderful playing. And I'm hoping we can include again some music at the intro and outro of this episode from these new pieces, if that's okay with that, you. That would be lovely. I mean, Jason actually specializes in modern extended techniques and all that sort of thing as well. So besides being a beautiful lyric player, he's really amazing with the circular breathing and all the crazy stuff. <laughs> yeah, we should definitely get him on. But that, that's interesting you say that because um, when you said that, you know, vocalists get sort of, uh, I don't know what the word is, pigeonholed. <laughs> pigeon well, yeah. yeah, pigeonholed into one thing. I just don't feel that happens to clarinetists. I mean, Martin Frost, for example, even um, recently put out a CD and it spanned all different genres and repertoire and uh, you had improvisation in there alongside like pre-Baroque, very early music, like and everything just kind of goes, and and I, I just find that very interesting that that doesn't happen as much with vocalists, or it's very difficult to achieve because clarinetists are kind of free to play the whole repertoire without judgment, or so it seems. Yeah, I think I mean, for example, early music singers very much get stuck into early music singing and won't go past a certain year, even of repertoire, or you know, don't venture into operatic repertoire. Whereas if you're stuck in one particular, maybe Mozart or Strauss, it's very hard unless you become very well known to sort of break out of, of um, you know, uh, repertoire bands, if that makes sense. Obviously, singers, we have what's called Fach, so different colors and different weights of voice are suited to different repertoire. However, mm-hmm. it's very, very easy to get stuck in one and for somebody not to hear the fact that your voice is maturing past, you know, what you've been singing before, if that makes sense. Yeah. And so what do you think the solution would be if you could, if you could name something, if it's not too complex to have no solution? Um, it's it's really difficult. It really um, relies on a casting director or a house um, having faith in your, in your teacher's advice or in in what they hear rather than what they read on the paper. It's very common for the people to see what you've done and then follow that that path rather than hear what they're hearing and and see the possibilities in the repertoire. Um, that the, the colors and the weight and fluidity of the voice could lend itself to. So it's it's a, it's a very difficult one. So subjective. Well, we're kind of going into the weeds here now, but but um, one more quick question about this is that do you think the situation would be improved um, if auditions for these kind of parts were, were blind? Um, you mean as in, yes, perhaps, if they didn't have the CV there, for sure. I mean, I know there's a lot of whose agent are you from and how many of these sorts of other issues that can sway um, decision. However, in as we're stage creatures, the look and the height and the way you move, all these things pay uh, play a part in being a singer. And it would be uh, maybe getting to the second round. Maybe if the first rounds were blind and the second rounds were not. <laughs> well, absolutely. And that's what happens with orche- orchestral ed- auditions, you know, is they, they do some yes. of the rounds are blind. And, and this is to make sure that the panel is, for example, not sexist or ageist or anything like yeah. that, you know. And then, no, of I course, think maybe this is something we need to do with opera because <laughs> uh, we have some issues here for sure. Well, it is interesting, though, because, of course, casting for something like an opera uh, it does come into it. Like, is the person the appropriate height? Do they have the look we need? Are they going to fit into the, the, the role? But there comes a point too, where you don't want to sacrifice the musicality for that. So I'm not sure really what the answer is. And um, I think these days, you know, as well with, with, you know, the HD broadcasts and trying to build up singers that are going to fit that model that you're looking for in terms of the publicity and that sort of thing. There yeah. are definitely issues in times where you think, have they really sacrificed the, the musicality or the quality here for a look? 
Um, and I think that's really dangerous ground because in terms of keeping the level of music high, we really want to be, um, you know, focusing on the musicality. But then also in the acting side is so important. So it's very difficult with opera to try and tick all boxes, acting, singing and looks. Well, this is one of the strange things about opera too, actually, while we're talking about this is that the, the genre was, of course, meant to be enjoyed by most people at relative distance, um, kind of taking in the whole stage at once from their seat, you know, or, or where they are in the in the opera house. But nowadays mm-hmm. we have these opera DVDs that are high resolution close ups and panning the stage and all sorts of things like that. It's, it's almost an unnatural way to experience it. And maybe it does put more pressure visually on the artist, which didn't exist back then. No, absolutely. You're definitely right. And also, I mean, there's been a real, and it's a good thing in some respects, we're, you know, bringing the singers out to act as much as possible, because we're talking a few hundred years back where things were a lot more stylized and maybe, you know, a little less uh, instantly expressive, less physical on stage. And then as we hit Verismo and things sort of became more, um, even before that, we're looking Verdi, that sort of things, we're really trying to bring to life the depth of the in-depth experience of the character rather than a set of variations that explores it kind of in a more mathematical way, almost, um, if you, if you know what I'm trying to say, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think there's definitely been through the music as well as the kind of preferences for, you know, the modern day audience who's used to seeing movies and TV and all that sort of thing. Um, there's definitely been a preference through, through, you know, as time's gone on, Good or bad, possibly, <laughs> possibly bad, but um, there's also benefits for, for bringing people to the opera. Well, this is really interesting. I'm really glad we had the chance to explore that for a moment. They're kind of a, a little bit of a uh, sidetrack side from the normal step, yeah. lightning, <laughs> lightning round questions, but uh, definitely intriguing. And uh, again, I want to thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. And I do want to encourage people to check out episode 31 of the podcast uh, from last time we had a conversation and also chromaeditions.com where you can find all of this music for uh, download digitally and in uh, print edition version. So thank you again, Elena, for coming on the show. And I look forward to our next chat. Thanks so much for having me. Have a great Christmas. <laughs> you as well. Merry Christmas. Show notes for this episode and all other episodes of the podcast can be found at www.clarenet.com. If you find that you're enjoying the podcast, please consider supporting it. You can do this at clarenet.com support. Please know that your support is greatly appreciated. Be sure to tune in next time for a Christmas special episode, which is actually the first one I've ever done. I'm going to be sharing some of the uh, feature items that were on my top 20 list of gift ideas for clarinetists, and also some listeners have sent in their holiday memories about the clarinet, as well as what's on their wish list this holiday season. The podcast is hosted by Mo Bleichner Music Distribution. You can check out their newest product, the $49 Match Pitch Barrel, at www.clarinet.com store. Of course, the show is also brought to you by our season sponsor, the Dario Woodwinds. Thanks again so much for listening. Sanding, shaping, balancing. For centuries, mastering your instrument meant mastering these crafts too. 
But now, D'Addario is refining craftsmanship for the 21st century by refining their reeds and mouthpieces with the world's most innovative techniques. So you can spend less time sanding, shaping, and balancing, and more time perfecting your own craft. To learn more about the new era of craftsmanship from D'Addario Woodwinds, visit daddario.com woodwinds.